Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 as part of the following on podcast and today bringing you an exclusive interview with an England great. This week, two Ashes legends sit down as Steve Harmison speaks to Ian Bell about his illustrious career. They'll discuss Bell's rise to becoming one of England's greatest ever batsmen, how it felt to win five Ashes series and his memorable innings from a fantastic career. So much to discuss and you're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2, an exclusive interview with Ian Bell. First of all, Belly, thanks for joining us. I'm intrigued to talk to somebody not only that played for so long with, but the story of you know five times Ashes winner, five times on the board at Lords, you know, one of the stellar careers of, of, of English cricket, and you know, where it all began because I think I first came across you in around about 99, 2000 um, at the, the National Academy. But you were you were probably destined to play from for England from about 11, 12 year old because you always played that age group or two above yourself. I think school and I think you were year seven when you were playing for 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 the first eleven at school. So was cricket always something you were? This was Ian Bell's road into or mapped into life. Um. I'm not sure, Harmy. I think, I mean, again, I was lucky, I suppose, as as we all are. I was in a sports mad family, you know, whether it's football, rugby, cricket and anything, you know, me and my brother, who's a couple of years younger, always out in the garden, always whatever sport. I suppose like anyone, when you're, you've got those dreams of mm. uh, or you love sport, you're just copying what all the pros do, whether it was cricket, football, like I said, or, or rugby as well. So that's sort of, I suppose, where it started. My dad used to play, you know, club cricket. So a lot of time spent on the side watching him play at weekends. And it, again, that's what you do, don't you? You just grab a set of stumps and a bat with your mates and you, and you just start cracking on. I think that's where my I spent love of sport came from. Obviously, it was my dad and my granddad. And as you said, I was, I, I probably, I was lucky again. I, at Warwickshire, 
Um, and I think when you look back through your career, you just meet, you, you feel like you, you, you meet good people along the way. And I had a guy called Neil Abley, uh, who I came across when I was 10 years old, who was second team coach at Warwickshire, but also, you know, ran the, um, pretty much the whole of the Usetta, which again, when you look back now, there's probably about four or five people doing that now in, in domestic, where there's one yeah. guy doing it. Um, and he was a bit of a mentor of mine and helped me from the age of 10 uh, right until uh, I think he passed away. I was probably into uh, about 2011, 2012. So like 75 test matches into your career. But, you know, you, you need those kind of people, don't you, that you can that help you along the way. But yeah, I think in, in general, yeah, I just love playing sport. And I, I was lucky, like you said, I played a bit, a little bit out of my age group at, um, from probably the age of 13, 14. I started to jump quite quickly into 16s, 17s and then 19s. You know, and yeah, I think my first tour to, uh, with, to New Zealand with England in the 19s at 16, um, that's when things sort of got on the map quite quickly. I scored 100 uh, in that series, a 16-year-old. And um, yeah, I was probably from that point, you know, people were expecting me to go on and play for England. And how do you find that, that under-19s, that under-19s leg of, of the sort of part of the career? Because, you know, I sometimes, I, I struggle with the under-19s and I, and I think you can go one of two ways and, and sometimes there's a positive way because you learn about being away from home. You learn about getting away from the sort of family background. You learn what different people are from different parts of the country and social backgrounds and stuff like that. So some of the under 19 stuff, some is, is valuable and going yeah. in at a 16 year old that did that help? Yeah. I mean, I didn't think too much about it at the time. I think when you're 16, mm. you just, you know, you just get out of school, don't you? And you're going to play Great, cricket. So you're happy days. You're absolutely loving every minute. I don't think you overthink it. I think um, one thing I do believe, and having just done some, and a little bit of work pre-Christmas and the last 18 months with the Young Lions, which is the 19s, I think there is such a long way to go, isn't it? I think, hmm. you know, I was lucky enough to play in that 19s. Jimmy Anderson is the same age group as me. He only played one game. I'm not to yeah. say, like, you have to be playing at that age group to go on and become a great England player. And people will peak at that stage. Uh, some people will only just beginning their development and really then kicking off their career after 19. So I, I think um, at the time, it was just loving playing cricket, getting out there. Um, but when you look back, I think I was, yeah, I felt quite lucky. You know, I went to tour New Zealand, India, Sri Lanka, um, and they are life experiences, that, as you said, you get. And I, I, I suppose the, the good thing about it is you all of a sudden you're not just playing against the best kids and your lads in your age group in the country all of a sudden you're going especially if you go to an under 19 world cup you're playing against the best kids in your age group in the world which all of a sudden puts a little bit of a different view to it because you see it all differently i remember the 19 world cup i went to i was still i think a year young but there was you know yuvraj singh for india michael clark shane watson graham smith trotty was playing for south africa weirdly you know so, so some real good players and we'll see from year by year you know, they are good experiences to have. But it, again, it's not, doesn't mean just because you play 19s, you're going to go on and, and play for England. You know, like I said, some people peak at that place or around the age of that age. And some guys are really just kicking into their development. As we saw someone like Jimmy from 19 to 21, all of a sudden just took okay. off and was playing for England. Zach Crawley's probably another one. I don't think he played representative cricket for, for the ECB at 19s. But by no. the time he's 22, all of a sudden he goes into scores 260. Um, so I think it's... Um, when I look back now, that there's two sides of uh, of um, playing under 19 cricket for England. You went into play, I think, was it three second team games for Warwickshire in '98, and my first, I remember playing against Warwickshire in '98, and that was I know you, you didn't play in the first team, you played in the second team, but 
That was Laura's year back after him scoring mm. 500. And I remember I played against Laura at Edgebaston in the mm. first game he scored. Uh, the first game when he came back, it was the first game of the season against uh, against Warwickshire. And Laura comes back, and that dressing room was a was a an older dressing room. That Warwickshire mm. dressing room, nighty. Dougie Brown, the likes of Keith Piper and you know David Hemp. I remember Hemp, he was playing in that game. Osler played in that game. 98 was when Lara came back. So how did you find going into a, a, a Warwickshire setup with with the experience of guys like that? Well, it, to be fair, again, we, I look back and I was very lucky at the time. Like you said, you had people like Brian Lara. We had Sean Pollock for a season. We had Alan Donald. You know, the, we were so lucky to have great, great players, great overseas players um, that you could tap into. I mean, again, the Warwickshire side through the 90s, I think that was probably part of the reason why I wanted to play cricket, really, was the Warwickshire side from 93, 94, 95. I think they won the treble, the double. So it's very easy to go to Edgebaston and watch one great overseas players, but a team that was successful. So it was quite, you know, early in my, my teens. That's why I wanted to play cricket, really, for Warwickshire and for England. But it was good. I, again, it's uh, like in anything. I think life's moved on a little bit. I mean, it was, um, it was a tough environment, which, again, I think is... Is important. I remember as a youngster, especially in pre-season or in the winter, you'd change in the away dressing room. The senior guys would be in the home one with their lockers and stuff. I mean, it wasn't like the, the luxury we have now at Edgebaston now, where mm. there's like 30 lockers and it's the biggest dressing room you've ever seen. And even as a kid, you'd have to knock before you went in. And it, I mean, again, the world's changed. It's a different place, but there was a bit of a grounding to it. And you had to earn your respect, even though I think they knew that I was a, a good young player coming through. But They'd look after me on the field, but then obviously there would be a bit of a, uh, you know, they'd, they'd be testing you from time to time, which again is part of sport, isn't it? And senior players and earning their respect. But uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting one. But again, I think I'm very lucky. Again, when we crossed the line, some very good senior players that again you need, I think, as a young player, take the expectation away from a young player and let him play, uh, and you take up the slack. Yeah, and the Warwickshire players let you go and play, but there was a lot of pressure—not pressure from the outside, but there was a lot of talk people comparing you outside I think I think Richard Hadley's brother said mm. I think Dale Hadley said you were the best 16 year old he had ever seen a lot of people were comparing you were with Michael Atherton probably because you were under 19 mm. captain can you remember back then thinking wow these are big big compliments yeah I mean again probably did you need do you need that kind of compliment at 16 mm. I'm not I'm not I'm not sure it does put a little bit more pressure on there's no it's doubt hard, I isn't it? Suppose it, yeah it's I, I, hard I don't if think you, I, do you, do you think, I'm sorry, do you think now that would stop you from making a comment on a 15, 16 year old, knowing what you know now? Because I, I still think you wish you sometimes wish you could have your career opposite, like the other wrong way around and go through your 30s to before you get into mm. your teens and your, your, mm. your 20s. But do you feel, find yourself now talking about a player and stopping yourself going, well, he's the best player I've seen, at, yeah, especially in public, because you don't want to put pressure on the kid? Oh, absolutely. Having just now, I said, been 18 months with doing work or batting work with the England and the 19s, you get asked that a lot. And again, for me, having gone through that, yeah, I wouldn't want to put too much expectation on on young players. Because again, I think the journey is so big. There's so much to go through to get and and uh, even to get to, to play for England. So I, I do, yeah, I do find myself a little bit wary. I don't think it's over damaging, but I think you have to be a little bit careful with overhyping people. Like I said, at that age, um, as we can see, lots of different people can uh, can kick on at different stages in their career. And the important thing for young players, isn't it, is going from junior cricket to men's cricket is is a completely it's a completely different game altogether, really. And you know, this is where the first time I came across you, and probably some of your your sort of friendships from the England team started to build up, and that was in the National Academy. I spoke with Simon Simon Jones the other day on on 
you know, doing something similar. And, you know, he was like, this is like, it was like a stag trip. It was, it was, a, <laughs> they give us, they give us more money than they probably should have in our pockets. Try to get us to eat and do the right things, knowing that we, you know, we financially we had been given, yeah, and we were a little bit more experienced and a bit older. But how invaluable was that trip, that the academy trip, when you look at the lads that were on it, obviously myself and Simon and Freddie, you know, Strauss, you know, Keezy, Tremlett, you know, Swanee, all these players that you went on to play and, and have some very, very successful times with. No, it was really important. I think, as you said, I think Simon's right. We had a good time. There's no doubt. I think <laughs> the fact that we were there for um, that whole period of time pre-Christmas and, and, you know, we would work hard Monday to Friday. There's no doubt about that. But then all the coaches were living in different apartments in Glenelg in, uh, yeah. on the beach and we were left to ourselves for the weekend. So we did have an enjoyable weekend, but there's no doubt um, it was a real graft Monday to Friday, you know, on that so was at Henley Beach where we were mm. and the physical work was hard. I think I do remember again as a, as a youngster on that trip, you know, but the quality of the cricket. I remember speaking to Luke Ronke, obviously, who's gone on to play for New Zealand and he's now their batting coach. And we actually recently talked about that bowling attack that we had on that series. I remember us sat there talking about Rob Marshall's going, going through their list. Don't bowl short to him. Don't bowl short to that. And you look around, we've got, we've got yourself. We had Fred. We had Simon Jones. We had Tremlett. Ch- Tudor. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sat there going, well, this guy must be seriously good then. If he can take all these lads on, on the short ball, because I've been facing them in the net. So I remember that. I mean, that was the, um, the, the quality of that trip uh, in terms of player was fantastic. Um, it was probably like that because it was the first year, I reckon it was probably your closest to an old school A-tour where you had the best yeah. of the rest. So then as Lions cricket has become now, it's more of a younger group, an opportunity, a, maybe a, a, an opportunity to get people to India and test there and see some growth and, and maybe pick a few younger players. Whereas now that that group are playing in T20 tournaments around the world. But um, yeah, the quality for me as a young batsman facing yourself, Fred, um, you know, Swanee regularly, Jonah, Tudes. Uh, I mean, it was, it was phenomenal really. And, I think that the one thing I would agree, and again, Rob Marsh was a tough man, wasn't he? And he, he sort of gave us the, whether with that senior group, I mean, whether he needed to be that hard. But I think the one thing he always pushed on was wasn't it, playing the short ball. Can you play genuine quick bowling? I think that's what he was watching all the time. Yeah. And I think that was the one thing I took away from that net. Because if you could get through our training, then you could play the Australian Academy. And we absolutely smashed them at the time. You know, and I think it was a good period in my career. Certainly, like I said, facing you guys in the nets and in middle practice on that. Adelaide um, number two um, ground there as well. So, yeah, some good things, um, but it was some good fun as well. Still to come on the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2, Ian Bell discusses the start of a successful England career and what it was like to play in that iconic Ashes series in 2005. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 as part of Following On. There it is, 100 for Bell, he punches the air, it's a fall down to fine leg that gets him there, and that gets him to his seventh Test Match 100. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 as part of the following on podcast and our exclusive interview with the England great Ian Bell. For more content like this, as well as exclusive match highlights and in-depth reviews, subscribe to the podcast available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. But here, Ian Bell discusses making his England debut and what it was like to play in that Ashes series in 2005. Later on after that, you had a sample size of what it was like to be on a full tour. Because you, 
I think it was Butch. Did Butch get injured and you you went over to New Zealand for, for yeah. a short period of time? And it was a it was a case of you nearly played in, in was it in was it in Wellington or one of the test matches? It, it might have been yeah Wellington and Auckland. I didn't end up playing, but yeah, it was it was a funny one because obviously in Australia we'd worked our way across to Perth to fly back home. So I think I literally woke up the first morning at home to a phone call to say they wanted to go to New Zealand. And I was a bit like, they, what they couldn't have done this 24 hours before when I was in Australia, which was, um, so that was an interesting one to do. A whole lap of the world within 48 hours was, uh, was an interesting one. But yeah, it was, it was a different dressing room that, wasn't it? Because like yeah. I said, NASA was in it and there was some, the, the older characters, NASA was in it, Thorpey was in it, but yeah. obviously Butch was, was uh, you, were pl- you were replacing Butch, but Butch was still there. Stu- was, I think Stewie yeah. was still there. I think he was. So there was, um, it was, it was actually, it was around when Ben Holyoke died. And it was exactly. It was that time, there was yeah. some some big senior players in the England dressing room then compared to when you actually came in and made your debut. Yeah, it was, and I, I think I was still nineteen at the time. So it was a, it was a young, it was a great opportunity to go in. And again, a lot of those guys, like I said, were heroes: Thorpey, Stewie, NASA. I mean, they were the guys growing up that you know I wanted to to emulate. So yeah, it, it was an experience as a nineteen-year-old um, to go into. But again, I, I was lucky. Again, Ashley Giles, obviously from Warwickshire, was was perfect for me. Certainly, really like a. Uh, really looked after me uh, in a good way. Vaughan, again, I think Vaughan was in in that period as a batsman because obviously pre-captain yeah. time was, you know, really coming onto that purple patch he had for those two, three years where he became one of the best batters in the world. Um, so, yeah, there was some really good things um, that came out of it. But also, yeah, it helped, again, you know, going from the academy and the players that were on that and, uh, and overlapping. Obviously, Fred had been on the start of the um, that academy tour and he was out there as well. So, yeah, it was it was helpful to have that but uh, a great experience uh, again just to have a feel for it and I'm sure part of that really I, I don't know how close I was to playing I think a lot of those things maybe they they wanted to have a bit of a look maybe you know in mm. selection meetings and me that I was one of the closer batters to have a look at so maybe it was a period that Duncan and the coaching staff could have a bit of a closer look um, you know in, in those environments and in August I think it was 2004 the West Indies at the Oval was the start of what was going to be 100 and was it 118 test matches? Did yeah. you in your wildest dreams when you got the who, first of all, how did you get to know you were playing for England? What did it feel like? And did you get a, a, a sense that you're thinking, you know, where this could end up? Um, not really. I, th- I think one thing I look back and actually I think everything was just the perfect timing. If you want to make a debut, that was the series to do it. Mm-hmm. I think one, I was in um, an absolute purple patch with the bat. I think I'd already scored five or six hundreds for Warwickshire that year. We went on and won the championship that year as well. So my game was in a brilliant place, confident. And obviously you guys at the time had demolished the West Indies in the West Indies and then won every single test match that summer so far. So going to the Oval as a young player, when you, you feel like your game is in great order, the team is fully confident. So again, coming in is easy. Everyone's top of their game. Um, you know, you guys, certainly as a bowling attack, was as good at four-man seam attack England have ever had at that point at the top of your game as well. So it was it couldn't have been a better time to make a debut as a young player. Like I said, walking into a confident, friendly dressing room. And yeah, it was nice just to one one, it was nice to like you said, it's when you make your when you get your cap and your debut, there's so many emotions and the different emotions that you've gone through just to get to that point. And it was just a bit of a dream. And the whole few days couldn't have gone any better the way we batted and then we bowl them out and everything like that. So I think like I said, it was just a great time personally, but again, for that team, it was a great time to, to walk into a dressing room as confident as that. 
And I think it's only until a bit later when the first game, you're just so happy to be there. And then you realise you love it that much that you want to stay there. And how am I going to, how do I want to have the longevity to make mm. sure that I can, you know, like I said, if I want to play 100 test matches, how am I going to do that? And, um, you know, that, that's a different, I suppose, um, uh, understanding, isn't it? Going through the highs and lows of cricket and a career and in and out of form. Uh, but at the time, that was just, like I said, a dream, a dream debut to, to be part of. And I think it, it, it helps, you know, going into a dressing room when you know so many people. You know, I remember going into, <clears throat> into the England dressing room in, on my debut in 2002. I was fortunate. I made my debut with my best mate, Rob Key. Me and Keezy made our debuts together, but some of, the, some of the players that were in there from the older generation didn't really know, and it, it was still that, that older generation mentality. So it was a bit, it, and it wasn't, wasn't always winning, so it was quite fractious. But, you know, it was quite mm. intense, mm. and it wasn't always like the fun element of, of what we ended up going in and having. And going through that time of, you mentioned the winning against the New Zealand, the West Indies, New Zealand, the West Indies, and then we went to South Africa, and then we come into a summer which the world is watching, 2005. Mm. We get to Bangladesh, first test match. We just want them out the way. A lot of question mm. mark on this, this big South African we were about to possibly pick in Kevin Peterson. Mm. Did, you feel, did you feel the talk that was going through that you were either under pressure or it was, it was going into that test match at Chesley Street? So I remember it was Thorpe's test match where he made, he made his 100th test match. Everybody was talking about KP, and it was it was you could not ignore that that Kev was 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 on the horizon. And then you go and score 162, first Test century in Durham. Was that was that a case of right? I belong now. Uh, looking back, probably probably not. I think I think the one thing. Uh, I mean, again, I wasn't aware of all that. Obviously, I'd played obviously a fair bit against Kev at the time. Been on a couple of Lions tours. Uh, played Birmingham League cricket against Kev. So we knew each other relatively well as well at that point and obviously already been on tour with him. And you knew that, again, there's a special player there. There's no doubt. I think whether I was a bit naive at young, I, I wasn't sure what kind of headspace Thorpe he was in at the time. 100 test matches, finishing, conversations that go on behind. The yeah. older you get, was he going to just, you know, there might have already been those conversations before. I don't know. I've never had that conversation with Thorpe about that, actually. But again, I, for me, I wasn't really worried. Uh, I was just playing... Again, loving playing, putting an England jumper on and getting out there and playing. So I was a little bit naive to thinking if there was any pressure or anything like that about it. I think when I look back on that summer, I, I, what I do realise now, and I think anyone realises that the difference between playing Test match cricket and then an Ashes series is a completely, not necessarily the standard in the cricket or anything like that. It's still the same game, but the expectation, the news, what it means, uh, and it just elevates another level or two or maybe even five or so it, it really There's no comfortable days no and I think as well one thing I look back and I look back and probably go, do you know what? I wasn't ready for that experience at that time but again I'm a big believer actually you throw how do you ever find out whether you're ready hmm. for that kind of experience or and I think I, I probably learned from that experience more in that series more than I ever did in my whole career because it made me realize a bit like you said there you made your debut you've played three or four games but actually if you want to have a career and you want to play for 10 plus years how much better I'm going to have to be and improve. So I think that was the one thing I walked away. Um, but again, so that, that series, again, even now, like you look back and some of the best games of cricket, some of the best moments England have ever had on a cricket field. I, I know that, uh, at the start, and again, I feel quite lucky that, you know, I probably didn't, you know, when you're a top five batter for England, your job is to score runs. When I look back, statistically, I didn't do my job and that was to score volume of runs to do it. I felt like, again, I did, I got, I, did my stuff at short leg and caught my catches, try and do as much for the team as I could. 
but again I'm lucky that I had you know seven ashes series that again that I could actually show over time the my ability against Australia so um but again it was one of the best series one of the most memorable series to be part of and witness to be honest with you some of the stuff again Fred did KP's innings there it is big hundred for Peterson a big hundred for England Trafalgar Square at the end whether whether we'll see those kind of things ever again is uh, you just don't know it was just a phenomenal time I suppose sometimes when you're young you probably just don't take that in do you you don't realize how special that moment was there and then and you look back and you just go wow that was something completely different really um and, and amazing but I, I do believe again it was something that I, I do look back and go there's test cricket and then when you play against Australia everything everything around the game just hypes up to a completely new level in that you talk about that that series it was it was ridiculous and I know you say statistics here about scoring runs and doing jobs properly wasn't many people in that series scored runs with the bowling no. attacks that were on there I'm not saying yeah. that you know anything about the, the two bowling attacks that were out there were, were fantastic attacks and I think that made the series all the better but going into that you know that having played that 2005 series you mentioned you've mm. played seven Ashes Test Series mm. did first of all did that stand you in good stead and when you got to because you copped a bit of stick through that that series what how how did that first of all affect you during the time when it was going on and did you then look back at that and think well that's the best thing that could have happened to me because I know personally from experience I made my debut against India first test match but my second third fourth fifth test match were against Australia in Australia 2002-3 and I was like well I can play come away if I can play against these and do Mm. not bad I can play against anybody yeah, 100%. I think um, I definitely felt more so probably on the next tour to Australia. Uh, I think I averaged probably 35 with that. And obviously we lost 5-0 and it was a, it was a, it was a tough tour and going there and, and they obviously regained. But I felt like I just started towards the end, you know, start playing to a level that I wanted to. I started to be a lot more positive with my footwork and taking on Shane Warne at the start. I probably, I look back and I think, and I've, I've spoke about this to a few young players. One, one mistake I made, and, and I think, where KP does this better than anyone I ever played with is he played the ball, not the man. And, his, mm. and, he, and he trained himself to do that. I think sometimes, I look back early in my career, I probably paid a little bit too much respect to that Australian team than maybe actually just get in there, react, watch the ball, trust yourself. And I think they were the things I learned from that series. And it certainly held me in good stead for the ones to come. Um, but I definitely remember leaving Australia. I know it was a real brutal tour, a tough one, but I felt like actually... I've made some strides forward from where I was in the last one. And I believe that actually now, you know, I'm in a place where I could, I could certainly perform against Australia where I needed to. But also, I think, Harmi, I don't know what, what you believe in that, but, you know, I think, well, I still feel quite lucky that we got to play against, you know, that Australia yeah. 2005, 6, 7. That was a great team. Yeah. You know, we're talking about some of the best players of all time. Even the five series after that, there, was some, it was a, there were good signs, but they were never as good on paper, mm. never as good man for man as that 5 season and the 6-7 what we lost. And that's the answer. First delivery. He edges it into the slip cord and it's caught. Australia have won, but I am not absolutely sure all 11 are as happy as they could be. I think they could possibly have preferred if Shane Warren had gotten his five. But it's another test match and it's another victory. On paper, that was the best cricket team I've ever played against. And I think that, again, there's never a bad Australian side but they were nowhere near. The ones now are nowhere near as good as what that side are. And actually, people that, that 
weren't getting in that side. You know, like that was what amazed me when we went on our first tour to Australia was we'd go to South Australia and there'd be Darren Lehman, Greg Blewett. Darren Lehman get a masterclass. I think he got 98 where he just, and he can't even, he wasn't even getting in the 11. So it, it, that was the phenomenal period of that, it, that, that Australian side. And I agree, the confidence you get, if you can do it against them, then you can do it against anyone. Plenty more to come on the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Steve Harmison sits down with the Ashes legend and his former England teammate Ian Bell to look back at a brilliant career in the game. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 as part of the following on podcast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 as part of the following on podcast and our exclusive interview with England's great Ian Bell. If you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can listen back to the podcast available now via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. But here, Ian Bell and his former England teammate Steve Harmison continue to reminisce about the Great Ashes series in 2005. You mentioned what KFP was so good at. 
and go back to the the 2005 and and at Lords in the first Test match. Do you think that was an English mentality thing because of what the likes of how Nasser and and others and Stewie and all them used to talk about playing Shane Warne and how you play Shane Warne? Nasser would like get Duncan to get million like videos, you know, back in the day of video cassette recorders and watch Shane Warne and Shane Warne this and Shane Warne that. And it took somebody outside the box to come in to to really think something different against that side. And that's what stuck out to me on on that that in that 05 series. And it wasn't until a bit later on, probably till we got to Edgebaston. You know, the, the atmosphere at Edgebaston. What was the atmosphere like at Edgebaston? Your home ground, 2005. When you stand there in the middle, whether you've got bat and hand or in the field. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 you talk about how different the, the series is to normal Test match cricket. That, for me... Really, when I when I when I when I look back in that in that series, that Saturday afternoon at Edgebaston was something completely different to I'd played at all, and I'd played in the MCG and, and and played in India in front of some big crowds. Yeah, definitely, I agree. I remember you know KP absolutely smacking McGrath back over his head, and I think again people are standing up, going, "Wow, that's never that we've not seen that before from an English player uh, to do that." And I again, I think Kev maybe again probably never grew up watching England to an extent get battered year in, year out against Australia. His mind was probably elsewhere, you know, and it is a fascinating journey that he had that, you know, he didn't have those same like feelings of watching England completely getting annihilated um, Mm. as much. So he probably didn't have that, not baggage is the wrong word, but that kind of, you know, England Australian worries that maybe England players have had by admiring Australia a bit too much. Uh, But I agree. I think that, that, one thing you get Lords, isn't it? And sometimes Lords, it's such a special place to play cricket, but it's very neutral. Yeah. You know, it's not intimidating at all for an away team because like I said, it's, it's different atmosphere to Headingley, to Edgebaston, to Old Trafford, where, you know, you're going to get a lot more vocal English support. Certainly in an Ashes series is going to be hostile for away teams. You know, Lords is just a really great place to play cricket for both teams. And it's unique, but it's certainly, I don't think it's an intimidating place to go. Whereas I think Edgebaston, like you said, when Fred got up and things started going, the atmosphere uh, you just felt was all for us and was, and became difficult for Australia in that period. But, and I think over my seven, you know, series against Australia, you realise again that, you know, Australia, even watching the India series just recently, you know, they like to get on top. They'll come out all guns blazing. They'll be aggressive in your face and they like to get their heads, their, their noses in front if you can hold that line and maybe throw some punches back, they do back off. And we've yeah. seen that, not just against England, but against other teams, but you have to be good enough and brave enough with your skill with the bat, you know, in the field, with the bowling, everything, to be able to throw some punches back and be aggressive. And I think that was the one thing that Edge Baston test match was about, was, uh, you know, Vaughan and the team making a decision that, OK, if we're going to lose, let's just lose, but lose throwing a load of punches. Yeah. Let's be as aggressive as we can be. And I think we got 400 in that day. Uh, I remember Triscothic, you know, just hitting Warren back over the top early, first before lunch. Oh, that's a terrific hit. Goodness me. <laughs> and it set the tone. And probably that does go back to what KP did at Lords. you know, that kind of aggressive nature that we've lost before, you know, against a great side. But if we just play the same passive cricket and allow them to bully their way and play their style they will win. So I think that's, that's my take on playing Australia in the seven times is all of them. They, that's the style they play. They like to be aggressive. They will come at you as hard as they can. You have to throw punches back. And actually, if you're going to lose, why not throw some punches mm. and be as aggressive back as you possibly can? What a performance from these two gentlemen. 
all-time perfect hit. There it England is. England have regained the ashes. You mentioned there, uh, you know, the, the, the Trafalgar Square, the celebration, but the override memory of, of coming off at, at the Oval, realisation of we've won the ashes for the first time in 20-odd years. You know, the crowd, that was the atmosphere that was going with it. Was it the start of when you realised that, jeez, this might just change our lives? I think that it, I just remember going to Old Trafford as well, where I think was it one of the days where the, we couldn't, as a players, like the queues outside the ground last year, yeah, were were just, and we couldn't even get into the ground. Like there was, I remember coming in with Hoggy from the hotel, and you already got a feeling now this is completely different. This whatever's going on now is just it, it, the whole country had just completely changed about cricket and everything like that. So I think that that was a real opener or eye opener at the time to say that this is going to be this is one hell of a special series. But there's, there's no doubt, um, you know, cricket was front, front pages, back pages. It was everywhere. And uh, we, we, in a country where football dominates, generally, it was one of the most amazing periods to be involved in cricket, wasn't it? I think it generally was. And uh, probably very similar to what that World Cup effect had last year in, in winning the 50-over World Cup. It was just an injection that cricket needed to be punching around with football and, and making sure the next generation of kids want to play cricket. And I think that that 2005 series had a massive impact on a generation of players who wanted to play cricket uh, more so than other sports. And I think the, the, unfortunately with COVID sort of, I suppose, has halted the, the amazing work of that and the, the World Cup win to really keep cricket going. But I think those two in particular have those kind of feelings of series. And, you know, the, the confidence that gives you going forward, because when you look at, you look at the series, you said, you know, you didn't score the runs, the stats didn't stack up, that you've just said there. But then you go to Faisalabad, get 100, and then the next summer, 2006, against Pakistan, you get three 300s that summer. One of them was a, one of them I remember very, very well, because I remember I got hit three times on the head off Umar Gul. And I think the third time you came down a wicket, because normally my batting was there for a good time and not a long time. But if somebody was going to get 100, I would try my best to steer with him. And I remember you coming down and asking if I was all right. And I think the words were, will you? hurry up and get to your 100. <laughs> you kept hitting me on the head. But doing it against Australia is one thing, but then feeling you belong yeah. and the conference that gives you must have been a great feeling. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's the beauty, isn't it, of sport anyway. But in cricket, certainly, uh, I mean, and I'm sure it's the same in bowling, but batting again, being able to deal with failures mm. individually is massively important. Oh, he's got another wicket down the hill. Between bat and pad, McGrath is at his absolute best. That's hit the top of off stump. And Bell has bowled for six. You're not going to score runs every time. Um, and you're going to score a lot. You'll probably fail more than you actually score 50s and 100s. So you have to be able to deal with that. But also that on, the, on that side, you have to be strong enough with your character bid to be able to get up from knockdowns. So I know, I know individually I didn't play as well as I could have done in that series. So it was important to, to start again well. So to go to Pakistan... Against the decent side again, like Shobaktar charging in, Danish Canaria, a world-class batting lineup. Tough cricket that was. Tough cricket, and to score 100 straight away, I think, was really important, and to play well in that series off the back of that. Again, like in any cricket, I think um, if I hadn't have done that well, then who knows what would have the future would have had. So you have to be able to react quite quickly to a bad series, but that's just part of playing for England. You have to be again, you're there to perform, and you're not not going to have a luxury of too long. I think central contracts has definitely helped. But you still have to perform. But there's no doubt that series was important to me. And then making sure the following summer I played well. Um, but again, still at that early age, still still learning my game. And, it, and I still believe, and talk about it now, like I remember Mark Borden coming into the England side who was a psychologist. And it was only probably 40 test matches in. I started to really understand, I reckon, 
my game. Technically, it always felt like I had a good technical game, but putting together the mental side of it to go with that probably was only really when I came across him and he made me really understand the package of, you know, having my method on and off the field, how to be able to deal with it all. And I wish, I'd have, I wish I could have learned that earlier. And when I'm coaching some of the lads, it's trying to, how can I help these lads get to that place before I did? And it took me a while to really understand the mental side of the game properly. But there's, there's no doubt, I think, um, in test cricket, it's important to, you want to start well. You want to score hundreds or get five fifths because you want to feel like you belong and have that confidence that you, you, can, you can deliver and, um, under pressure. And, you know, that, that's what international sport and cricket, in particular test match cricket, is... is, is it's pretty brutal out there. You know, it always makes me laugh when I hear people saying, oh, they did quite well there and it wasn't under pressure. There's always pressure when you're playing pressure, for yeah. England. Every test match, you have to perform consistently. And, um, you know, but that, that's the exciting part. And when you've retired and you come out the other side, you realise probably sometimes you've wasted a lot of energy on stuff that you shouldn't worry about um, and actually how much fun you've had through a, through a long period of time. Did you sometimes feel in the next the sort of course of the next sort of few years where... You know, your place got questioned a couple of times. You got left out, got back in. Did you feel as though you are here being an escape goat and you weren't part of the, you weren't, but you were an easy, easy option to leave out. You weren't part of Fletcher's cool gang. You, you wasn't Triscothic or Vaughan or Collingwood or, you know, or et cetera. And then even after that, you know, you come around like, like the Moors of, of of Strauss, Cook, Root, you know, you weren't part of that sort of inner house cool gang. I've got other no. words for them. And if you listen to what Hoggy says about them, it's ridiculous. And did you feel that was, you were always pushing back against that? Personally, not really. Um, I think as a young player early in my career, again, I was a little bit inconsistent with my performances. And at the end of the day, if you perform, you'll stay in the team, won't you? I think that that's um, the reality. I remember... Obviously, that tour when Straussy and Flower took over and, um, you know, we obviously had that terrible game in Jamaica and then I got mm. left out. And, and I look back at the time, you're frustrated and you think, well, well, it seems to be me. I'm the one that's been left out. But then actually, when you actually cool down a little, I look back over a period of time and I hadn't scored the runs that I needed to um, probably to stay in. But And that was a massive turning point for me in that career, actually. But I, the one thing I will say, like, Straussy, for me, I always believe was the best captain I played under. Mm. I mean, I remember him having the conversation, him and Andy Flower, to be fair, and they were brutally honest with me. They said, we feel that you've got the ability to be in this team, but at the moment, one, we think you need to get fitter. Two, you know, your performance hasn't been to the level we need. So I was like, okay, fair enough. And, I, and, and, and to be fair, when you get honesty like that, I always find you've got two ways of doing it. Either yeah. uh, talk about it and, and not do it, or, okay, take that on the chin and then try and react to it. And actually, you know, that, that West Indies tour, even though I played the first test match, got dropped for the rest of the tour, I didn't play a single game for the next two months. It's probably the turning point in my career. And I reckon, that, again... As I said, around that 40 test match mark, I started to understand a few more things about me, not just about the batsman and the technique, but the other things that go into becoming a test match batsman. Still to come on the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2, Ian Bell discusses winning the Ashes in Australia and he picks out his best innings from his career. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 as part of the following on podcast. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 as part of the following on podcast and our exclusive interview with the Ashes legend Ian Bell. For more content like this, as well as exclusive match highlights and in-depth reviews, 
subscribe to the podcast available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. But in the final part of the show, the five-time Ashes winner discusses winning the urn in Australia and he picks out the best innings from an illustrious career. Is that the best team you've played in? That 10-11 series when you went to Australia? You got, I mean, you got 100 in Sydney, but that, that, that team was built on run scoring. Yeah, uh, I think, well, I'd say there's two teams. Obviously, that first team I came into, uh, so that 2005 side, I think playing at its best, bowling attack, runs, that was as good a team as I've played, and, played in um, without a shadow. Every, every person to a man you know, knew their role and delivered their role, really. Um, an amazing machine, really, and a, and a very, very good side. So that was right up there. I think, yeah, there's no doubt. I think the 2011 series was probably the best series I'd ever been involved in for how we prepped. And, and how we executed really on a tour to Australia. I think that what you quickly realise is if you don't score 500 first innings, I don't care how good your bowling attack is, you're not going to win. So those, that series in particular was built off the back of massive runs. Cookie had, a, you know, he obviously did a very similar in India as well, but you need to have players who are doing something very special in those conditions. And then you can start applying pressure. But I think for a period, over a consistent period of time, yes, probably that, that team was probably... Again, having a world-class spinner in Swanee helped. But again, it was off the back of big, consistent runs. And obviously, Jimmy and Brody did that. But yeah, between, I would say, that that team 2005 um, as an 11. And then, yeah, 2011-12 was probably the two best teams that I played in. And I'm not sure who would win if they both would play each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, you, can say, you can say on a fence because you're involved in both. But yeah. you, look at the, you look at that. Yeah, the, the experience you mentioned about playing in Seven Ashes trip, Ashes series, you know, nobody came anywhere close to winning it in Australia. That mm. must have been an unbelievable feeling. No, and you come off the field in, I think, in, in Melbourne, that one day in Melbourne, which was ridiculous. You know, you bowl them out, bowl them out, and then go past them on the first day in front of, you know, 90 odd thousand people was a, yeah. was a ridiculous achievement. But then, you know, to walk off at Sydney to get the Ashes, you haven't just scored 100. First time England had won over there for a while. That must have been an unbelievable, unbelievable feeling. Arguably the best of, of, of what you had at illustrious career. Yeah, I mean, again, if you two places, obviously, you know, doing what we did in 2005 in that dressing room after winning that and obviously Trafalgar Square, everything that we did there. But then, yeah, sitting in the SCG when you've just won the Ashes in Australia is, is as good a, is a nicer <laughs> beer you could ever taste in your life uh, on, on their soil. Um, you know, that it's, um, yeah, that was a phenomenal time. But yeah, it, it's difficult to put into words. I mean, it, we know Australia, again, like I said, that I still think 2005, 6, 7 team was the best I ever played against. And there were so many different things that went into, I suppose, the success of 2011. But yeah, the volume of runs we had, the days we had, probably the strength in depth as well, I think, going to Australia. I, I, I remember when we first got to Australia, I remember the first tour I went on and we played New South Wales if you remember, but a lot of the tension always seemed to be on the England team as who's doing yeah. what and they're not very good and this is this and that. And they'd always be trying to pick us apart. The tour, in 2011-12, the, the, a lot of them, you pick up the, the, the paper at breakfast and it was all about, is Mike Hussey going to, he's is, is out of form, he's not going to play. Mm. Ponting was under a bit of pressure. And all of a sudden, the, the, we, were, we were like two or three weeks into an Ashes tour and they weren't talking about us. Yeah. We were just sort of going about our business under the radar, really. Like, we were winning our warm-up games. That was one of the things they set out to do. We know how tough first-class cricket is out there. So, right, we're going to set declarations or we're going to chase uh, whatever on the last day just to try and win. That's the attitude we need. And we just went about our business. We absolutely annihilated Australia, right? which, again, 
I think Jimmy, Brody, so the starting 11 or starting bowling attack had already gone to Brisbane. So the guys on the bench at the time who would have been Brezzi, Tremlett, Ajmal was there. Uh, I can't think who the backup spinner was. Oh, it must have been, was it? It would have been Monty, yeah. So we played a, um, basically the non-starting 11 bowling, but with the, the, the starting batting. And to absolutely annihilate that side, and that had Steve Smith, it had, I think, Tim Payne. So again, the t- probably a lot of the team that are playing now, so they're best young players, which again gave us the confidence going to Brisbane. But again, like I said, a lot of the media talk was about how bad Australia were at the time or how mm. bad a form they were in. And <laughs> I think Mike Hussey scored a... Um, a 60 or an 80 in his last Shield game to make sure he got his spot. I think he ended up getting 100 in Brisbane, which, again, we're all sat there. I remember laughing a bit, going, oh, let's hope that they do leave uh, Hussey out. I think they were talking about, I forgot the lad's name, they played a bit for Worcester and oh, Ferguson, who plays for Ferguson. South Australia, and they were talking about playing him. And we were sat there going, oh, that would be, that would be absolutely great. Not that he's not a good player, but like Hussey he's always managed Hussey. to score runs. Yeah. yeah, Mike Hussey was an absolute incredible player. So a lot of the talk in their media was about them, not about us. And I remember that was very different to the other tours that I went on to Australia. I remember you talk about that. I think that changed around about two, six, seven time, probably when Warney and McGraw were just about to go out. Cause I remember in a 2002, three trip, we got off the plane and we had like, we had a, we had a British Lions type trip because we almost mm. had about 30 players, which 15 <laughs> of them were injured. We took Goffey injured, Flintoff injured. We took every injured player. Yeah. Remember the first, tr- first session we had, we did like high catches. With Fletch and Fletch is hitting balls, and we, we only we only trained for about forty five minutes because we we're just getting off a plane, and put in a decent session. And Fletch sat us down and said, "Look, you know, this is it's going to be tough." Talked about how the media was going to be. Just put in a good session. Let's get like, raise the bar mm. and keep it at that. And in forty five minutes, we must have dropped about nine catches in all of the time. <laughs> and on the news, in the news at the night time, it was like England have arrived with their ear game. All nine catches that were there dropped. <laughs> It was yeah. like the media was against us. I dropped three out of the nine, which was, was telling me something like that about me feeling. But it was like, we are against us. And we did in 2006, seven the same. But then all of a sudden, just something changed in Australian mentality. Yeah. That, and I think England going over there, largely being a little bit more more fancied, I think that put pressure on 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 Australia when it comes to that. And I'd never seen that anywhere else in the world before that trip. I remember doing it for the TV and it was a case of, right, if we score runs, we'll win We'll win the Test Series. Yeah. And I think that gets missed now about England playing away. There's a lot of talk about Braun Anderson. You've played with most of their career, nearly all of their career. Mm. And there's a lot of talk about England. Braun and Anderson can't play together away from home. Chuck Wokes in there. But I actually think it's the opposite way around. I actually think England don't score enough runs away from home. And that was the one time England did. Absolutely. I think that the, you can look at all the numbers in the world. You can play the best bowling attack in the world in test cricket. If you don't get runs on the board, you know, as a, as a batter, when you're facing top bowling, that there's no scoreboard pressure either. You can be quite cool. You can happily sit in and try and be as comfortable five, six. I'll see this guy off. It's a different game when there's runs on the board and the scoreboard pressure. You know that for batting first on those pitches, you have to be scoring 500. And you came back from that 10-11 trip, which was probably your, your best year next next sort of 18 months after that you know 2010 11 12 into sort of part of 13 i think you got seven was it 700s in 2000 and 2011 10 and 11 he gets it away nicely it's worked into the gap and well before he touches down on his first run bell is airborne he loves it was that the purple patch what or the confidence that you got from the the chat where with the psychologist your 40 career mark right i'm going forward 
and then you go and get 700s, 700s in about 18 months. Yeah, I think so. I mean, certainly it was me at my best. I think, again, it's sort of with the team, again, we got to number one in the world against India, which, again, I think I suppose that as a group, the, the challenge or the target over that two, three-year period was get to number one. The mm. one thing we didn't do very well as that group was reset and go, how are we going again? Because we didn't stay there for very long. But chasing it down, we were extremely good. Yeah, there was no doubt I was at the top of my game physically, mentally, uh, technically. Everything was in, in order in that period very comfortable in like again my own skin on and off the field everything was just in a good place um you know and, and I, I suppose the, the the best part again one yeah. against india yes arms in the air korean bell it's a double hundred his first in his career scoring a double hundred scoring hundreds in that series when we went to the morning world was a great moment but again 2013 ashes 300s in that series um being man of the series was was what you know I dreamt of doing. Yeah. Obviously, having a tough baptism into Ashes cricket uh, and having to, I suppose, you have to earn your respect, earn the right. Um, so to manage to again to be man of the series in thirteen three uh, hundreds in, in a tight contest. You know, runs weren't massive in that series, and they were tight games. So to have managed to look back and go, do you know what? Actually, you know, one of those series being man of the series was was a dream come true. Really, was that the highlight of your career? If I was to ask you. Your memorable innings, but also that career highlights, would you say 2013, after what happened 2005 and then 2006-07, to then, you know, fast forward to the emotions that you felt in 2013. Was that the Yeah, the definitely. There was, I mean, there was a lot driving me. Every time I played Australia, you know, certainly that 13 series, I knew I was at the top of my game. And that, that was driving me every time I got to the crease. I knew it was in good form, in a good place, make it count. Um, so there was, there's definitely no doubt. Sometimes your failings do drive you that that bit more. I, I still think one of the best knocks I ever played, um, and it wasn't 100. It, it was I think I got 75. Batted. I can't remember how many balls again when we saved the game at, at, at uh, Cape Town because, and, and Graham Onions was there at the end. And I think again that wasn't not because it was it, actually it was the complete opposite to what I was really known for. There was no cover drives, no late cuts, no sort of pleasing shots. It was just resilience and being able to adapt to my game, um, you know, taking the ego out of it and just trying to find a way. I know Collie had done it, or the lads in, and, and Collie in particular had done it against Australia and Cardiff. And again, when you're watching that, you're going, wow, look how that, I would love to be able to do that one day. And I think I look back and we managed to do that again. And I think we did it in Auckland as well. Matt Pry got 100. And I think, again, I got, again, about 70 or 80, again, off a lot of balls and managed to find a way for us to get a draw. And we'd, we'd you know, spent five days behind the game. So to get over the line in those games in particular were massive highs, but there was just, it was just so different to what I was probably known for, but it wasn't me at my absolute stroke playing best, but it was, it was a bit different. They were the most pleasing for me to do, but there's no doubt probably the Ashes 100 at Lords for me mm. again, if you, were to, if you were to pick one, you know, to get on the, the honour honours board at Lords, but against Australia just makes it a bit more special. For somebody who's travelled the world a lot, played 118 test matches, you know, nearly 8,000 runs, fantastic you know, career and achievements, five times Ashes winner. Really appreciate your time here on TalkSport 2. Thanks, Harmy. Our thanks to both Ian Bell and Steve Harmison for the last hour. If you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2.
The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 